All right, we're uh, coming near the end of our Summer in the Psalms series. It wraps up next Sunday in the, at the end of July. And I'm just so excited for the way that this has not only validated kind of the, the internal processes, the ups and the downs, the stages of life and emotion that we go through and, and helped us sort of find ourselves in the scriptures, but also in our church installed and deepened a value for the word of God itself. And so that's the twofold aim of this series. The emotion that this week's text has to do with is one that uh, has taken me a minute to get my mind around. And so I'm excited uh, to see if we can unpack it from the scriptures and uh, talk about what it means for us and how we perhaps can apply these passages to our lives. And in thinking about the emotion of anticipation, I was reminded, of course, of being a kid at Christmas. Nothing is more iconic a time in most Americans' lives than being a kid at Christmas. And by at Christmas, I mean the month of December, right, leading up until the day. And the I can't wait until. Did anybody have the advent calendar with the little chocolate pieces shaped like various things? And you have one a day and kind of paces and fuels the anticipation. Well, one year I, I hit that sort of like um, preteen, pre-rebellious, late elementary school stage of my life. And I don't know that my mom actually knows this, and so um, this will be this will be adventurous self-disclosure, but I actually like, went looking for the Christmas presents. I was so excited, I didn't want to wait, right? And when you search for something that you know exists somewhere bad enough, you typically find it. And I found them, and I was so excited until I like looked at them, and then you know what happened. You, can, you probably did this too, right? I felt sick afterwards not just guilty for having found them because they're mine or they're going to be mine anyway, but just that, that was the worst Christmas I can remember as a child because the Christmas time leading up was robbed of that God-woven anticipation, that feeling of I just can't wait because I already knew. And in the heart of a child, there is bound up folly, Scripture says, and in that folly is rebellion, a desire to, to find a way that I think is better than God's way, to say in effect in a given situation, I know better. And that's what happened, of course. But Christmas time, that, that being kind of the exception that proves the rule in my own life, is the time that is most full of anticipation. And it being July, the farthest from Christmas, it's fun for me to reflect on that time a little bit. As an adult, I feel no less anticipation, right? It's a different sort of anticipation. I'm not like as, as excited for the gifts. The gift to me is my high school, college, and young adult children coming together for a week at our house. Last year, we got a little place in Crested Butte, and I mean, I geeked out. I prepared all, planned all the details of the thing. We couldn't do a, a third of the amount of things that I planned, but was just so excited to have everyone there. And as they're growing older uh, and more mature and, and more like adults, our kids' relationships with each other and with our family are just so fulfilling. And I find myself looking forward to those times in a really really meaningful and particular way. Our title this morning, I Can't Wait. There's something in that feeling of, oh, I just can't wait, that feeling of anticipation that I think is of God and is to be cultivated in the life with Jesus. Our series, as I mentioned, is Summer in the Psalms. 
It's anchored in two of our church's values. First, we embrace the centrality of Scripture, recognizing that the Word of God is where the power is and the life, and our words ought to complement, illuminate, and maybe at best supplement, but never replace the Word of God. What I have to say is meaningless. God's Word stands eternal. And so as a church, ongoingly, we embrace the centrality of Scripture and studying through the book of Psalms, uh, hitting the highlights and some of the themes, and then inviting you all through the summer with us and on into the fall. If you take it at that pace, I'm going at that pace myself, um, reading along. And so there are reading guides back there. If you want to jump in at the 11th hour, perfectly fine. The Psalms are still meaningful for our lives after we move past this series. I want to highlight that if you've begun reading the Word of God on a, on a regular basis this summer with us, what an amazing habit you've started to form. Perhaps we get to the end of the Psalms and you're like, where do I go from here? The Bible is thick and confusing and sometimes starting at the very beginning is a less accessible way to do it. And so we've gotten some simple New Testaments back there. They're with the Bibles on the tables, um, paper New Testaments. And I would say if you're new to reading the Bible or you're re-engaging in the Word of God or perhaps cultivating this discipline for the first time in your adult life, pick up one of those New Testaments. Or if you've got a Bible, just start in Matthew and read through the life of Jesus. And that's a great way to continue this discipline that you've begun and let Jesus meet you in that place. The second of the two values of our church that is the basis for this series is we engage whole life transformation. We recognize that God wants to form Christ in us in our entirety. Jesus said, behold, I'm making all things new. That's all things in the world around us, and that's all things in the world within us. And so it's very common in pseudo-spiritual um, culture, in sort of religious culture, right, to make the important thing, spiritual maturity, a premium, and then leave our mental health, our emotional maturity, and other areas of God's formation and development in us alongside those relatively underdeveloped. But Jesus is at work in all of us making all things mature and whole and new, or he's not at work at us at all. And so this Summer in the Psalm series has given us an opportunity to look at how Jesus meets us where we are, not just where we think he thinks we ought to be, you know, with this sort of apocryphal notion that God helps those who help themselves. So I'll get myself cleaned up and put back together so I'm fit for God. He meets us where we are in the roller coaster of our emotions and validates, values, and invites us to bring all of ourselves, the big emotions, the emotions that are unsociable and maybe weren't allowed in your home of origin or in your place of work, to bring our whole selves to God. The Psalms doesn't just communicate that God tolerates or accepts that, but that he celebrates and welcomes all of us made in his image to come to him. And so as we continue in this series, this morning we're going to start in Psalm 122. The text note says, a psalm for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a psalm of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. Here we are now standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. 
All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord as the law requires of Israel. Here stands the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. This set of 15 or so psalms is known collectively as the Psalms of Ascent. There are um, mostly three to five verses per psalm, and so they're short, and they're songs that the people of Israel would sing when they made their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which for them was kind of like Christmas for us, the time they looked forward to, the capstone of their year. They would go and worship together at one of the festivals or feasts in Jerusalem, and there was this canon of songs, kind of the, you know, the, the great Israelite songbook, kind of like the great American songbook. Like we have Christmas songs that we dust off every year. People invariably get mad when they hear one before Thanksgiving, any of the Christmas music before Thanksgiving curmudgeons. If you hear it, you let someone know how annoyed you are by it. Yeah, right. It's, it, it, it's wrong. It's terrible. And we um, celebrate your way of finding something to be angry about in Christmas. No, just kidding. I'd play it all year round, but then of course it wouldn't be special. So you're probably right. I probably benefit from your vigilance. So thank you. Um, but there, it's those same songs, you know, walking in a winter wonderland and, and away in a manger. There's, this, there's a canon of beloved songs. Well, they had songs like that too for their Christmas. They were the Psalms of Ascent. And we read them as texts, but they sang them and they all knew them. Like as a kid, you don't remember not knowing the words to Jingle Bells, right? And, and they would sing them as they would make this road trip. And often they were just walking, right, to Jerusalem. And so the songs were like a soundtrack for this time that was the high point of their year. You see in Psalm 122 as a sort of entree to this section of the Psalms. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. And there we are standing inside your gates, Jerusalem. So he's talking about how from beginning to end, the pilgrimage, the ascent itself is part of the joy. It's part of the rhythm of God's refreshing in their lives and how they experienced him together. And it was full of joy. Clearly, the psalmist loves the rhythm of these festivals. And I think the reasons become clear as we read some of these little mini psalms. They're a context for remembering God's faithfulness, what he's done in the past, which we lose sight of in the day-to-day -day bumps and twists in the road of the challenges we face. And he's excited for the promises of God, what is to come. So it's a time, this ascent and these songs as a soundtrack for it, it's a time of remembering his faithfulness past and looking forward to the fulfillment of his promises yet to come. There's a longing in this ascent. There's a longing woven into the various themes, and they're like a mini book of the Bible unto themselves. There's a whole array of themes, but there's within them this winding thread of longing, longing for what we've seen God do in the past to happen now, what God's promised 
in the future to come to pass. This is exemplified and maybe finds a focal point in Psalm 130, another song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, where the psalmist writes, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on Him. I'm holding on to hope. I'm counting on God. I love that phrase. That, to me, is the essence of the Psalms of Ascent. I've put my hope in His Word. I long for the Lord more than the centuries long for the dawn. Remember, they'd be singing this. I'm counting on God. I'm longing for God. I put my hope in God more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord again. These Psalms of Ascent collectively, they're all about anticipation. In the various themes and content, there is a common theme of anticipation. Anticipation for getting there. They're saying, as David did in Psalm 122 in opening these, I can't wait till we get to Jerusalem. I can't wait till that road trip. I can't wait till we all sing those songs we love. I can't wait till we sit around and tell stories and remember how God's blessed us and share the griefs and trials of this year with one another and how we celebrate, oh, how we celebrate the feasts we have together, the parties, being with the family of believers. I just can't wait. That's the tone of the Psalms of Ascent. There's a twofold excitement for what is coming and for what is promised. Anticipation itself is a subtle but essential emotional experience for human beings. Made in God's image, we reflect the full array of emotions which God himself experiences. Anticipation is one of those. It's waiting, but waiting with expectation. It's a little bit different from waiting and hoping against hope, waiting for something that we don't know what it's going to be, or we don't know whether it's going to break good or bad. Anticipation is waiting with hopeful expectation for something that we have reason to believe is going to come. There is a certain grace in anticipation. And it's a grace from God that I think we largely miss these days. Kind of like how we have a, a, a society-wide vitamin D deficiency. Have you read this? Because we just aren't outside as much. Our forebears largely built their lives around an agrarian economy where they were outside when the sun was up. And vitamin D, of course, is mostly, unless you use supplements, absorbed through the sun. And we're exposed to the sun less because we sit inside more, uh, whether we're in cars or office buildings. And so there is this chronic shortage of vitamin D in our lives and in our bodies. Well, likewise, I think there's a, a bit of a chronic societal shortage of anticipation. Think about it. There's very little that we have to wait for. We have almost reduced waiting to zero and anticipation with it. It's like we've all opened the Christmas presents early. We don't have to wait till marriage. That's such an old-fashioned notion. Plus, it's cheaper to share the rent. We don't have to wait till we've saved up. Just get a zero-interest consumer loan for the first 12 months. We don't have to wait for the package to arrive. Just do the Amazon one-day thing. Some of us find waiting a whole day for our batteries to be delivered intolerable. 
if we live in an area where you get two-hour delivery. We don't have to wait till the movie comes out on home video anymore. Wait, what's that? <laughs> With the shriveling to extinction of the experience of the emotion of anticipation, we've missed an important way that God meets us in our humanity, I think. So how does God meet us in anticipation? You see it in some of these Psalms of Ascent. We'll look at a couple of them quickly. Psalm 120 a psalm for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. All of these are going to be. I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him and he answered my prayer. Rescue me, O Lord, from liars and from deceitful people. O deceptive tongue, what will God do to you? How will he increase your punishment? You will be pierced with sharp arrows and burned with glowing coals. How I suffer in far-off Meshach. It pains me to live in distant Kedar. I'm tired of living among people who hate peace. I search for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. What are they singing about while ascending to Jerusalem? They're singing about the, how hard their life is, and there's grace in anticipation that is God's compassion for our plight. God is saying, in effect, I get it. I know it's hard. This is not how you were designed to live and how it will always be. There is mercy in coming before God with others who live in far-off Meshach, among people who don't want peace. Most of you go to work most of the week, mostly with people who range from not believing in God to hating God to laughing at you for orienting your lives around God. We live in a post-Christian society, and that drains. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? We spend most of our lives, I mean, I live on a block where people, when, I, when we have the block party and I tell them what I do for a job, they look at me like I told them I managed a blockbuster, you know? Like, wait, people still do that? Is that still a thing? I thought that was like, cool, man. So do you like, what do you do during the week? I mean, there's total anathema, right? We live among people who think that what we believe is a fairy tale akin to ancient Greek mythology. And that becomes tiresome and lonely and difficult and an uphill slog. And there's mercy, there's compassion from a God who says, I know this is hard. It won't always be this way. God meets us in anticipation also with reminders, glimpses of his goodness. Little reminders that he has been faithful. Psalm 126, another psalm of ascent, when the Lord brought back his exiles, they're remembering the end of the Babylonian captivity. It was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. Anders did a great job teaching about the experience and the emotion of joy that pervades the life of a believer. A lot of that is remembering if I'm in a moment where I don't feel ecstatic happiness, that God came through and I know he will come through again. I am counting on God. The other nation said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. The people who laugh at our religion, in effect, for a moment recognized what we believe to be true and real. 
Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. There's reminders in anticipation of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. Looking forward with anticipation has a way of making us look back with fondness. It's just, it's instinctual, right? Like, uh, here we are, as in olden days, happy golden days of your faithful friends who are near to us. Will be. I, have you heard the Coldplay version of that? It's so wonderful. That's, that's the version that's playing in my head right now. Um, there's something about gathering now and remembering those olden days, happy golden days of yore. It, anticipation reminds us. It can't help but happen. It's part of how God wired us, of how he's been faithful. So we don't fall into what have you done for me lately syndrome or all hope is lost because I haven't seen God show up in this 10-minute window with my problem. The third thing that God does to meet us in anticipation that these Psalms of Ascent show is it gives, he gives us little glimpses of eternity, that this isn't the final state of things, that we are not of the world as it currently exists. Psalm 132, a psalm of ascent for the Lord has chosen Jerusalem and desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever. The psalmist is anticipating the new Jerusalem, which Scripture teaches in the book of Revelation is the culmination, the new heavens and the new earth and God's presence with us in a permanent way. This is my resting place forever, he said. I will live here. This is the home I desired. This isn't Jerusalem that they're going to get to in the next two and a half hours, according to Google Maps, and walk into the gates of. That Jerusalem is still going to be a work in progress and kind of a mess. But they're looking forward to the promise of God's restoration of all things and of his presence permanently with people. I will bless this city. I'll make it prosperous, satisfy its, its poor with food and clothe its priests with godliness. Its faithful servants will sing for joy. God's going to be with his people and he's going to leave that as the permanent, perfect state of things. Anticipation prompts us instinctually as it does to look back and remember to look ahead further into the future, to his coming kingdom. Anticipation of what's next triggers ongoing, permanent, or at least long-term anticipation of his kingdom come. And it reminds us that this world, as we experience it, this is not our home. So how do we cultivate anticipation and receive the grace of God in it for living here and now as citizens of there and then? How do we cultivate this in our lives when it doesn't grow naturally in the soil of our culture? I think there are some rhythms that these Psalms of Ascent whisper to, rhythms that if we will pause and observe will cultivate, will plant in the soil and add the nutrients to the soil of our hearts and our fast-paced American lives, the fruit of this increasingly rare emotional experience and the good that God does in our lives through it. Okay, you with me? How do we cultivate 
righteous anticipation. Psalm 128, a psalm of ascent. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and follow his ways. You'll enjoy the fruit of your labor. These are all songs they sing. This is their, this is their uh, silent night and their, um, what's another good Christmas carol? All I want for Christmas is my, is that, is my two front teeth? Is that a, I don't know if that's a canon song. Is that a standard? I mean, I guess Nat King Cole sang it, so it probably is. Oh, Holy Night, thank you. That is an indisputable canon song. Or even like, um, uh, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, like Tony Bennett. Did you see Tony Bennett passed away? An American treasure. But that's, that's Tony Bennett in my mind. Let It Snow, Let It, anyway. These are their versions of that. Okay, so imagine this being sung by people who know all the words and what that communicates of their culture of experiencing God. Okay, Psalm 128. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Turns to family. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. A family that's vibrant, alive, and rightly ordered to God and one another. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live, and may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. So he talks about generational blessing. This is what they're singing. May your spouse be fruitful and thrive and happy when they see you when you come home from work, not eye rolls. May your kids be strong, humble, courageous, well-disciplined, and full of love, not undisciplined and rebellious. And may you live long enough to see that compound in goodness to your grandchildren. All to the tune of, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Imagine Tony Bennett singing that. That's one of the rhythms that are a part of their grace in anticipation, ascending and can't wait to get there. And I think the wisdom from God that maybe we can draw from that is to nurture and safeguard family rhythms. Nurture and safeguard family rhythms. It's easy to think that those rhythms are built in because we have to eat and we have our family. If you're living with your family, you have children or you're living with your parents or you're in that stage of life, there are natural rhythms, but we're wise to recognize that for those rhythms to bring the life of God, we have to cultivate, we have to nurture them and then safeguard them. So there's a few fleeting years, parents, where your kids look at you and you hang the moon. You know, the open the door when you come home from work and you hear, Daddy! And they come running down the stairs and actually the, the you in the moment kind of wants them to be looking at a screen so you can just... You're exhausted and exhale or whatever, but you're, you're like, get dad mode on, and they come running down and grab your legs. Now, anyone in the stage of life where you remember that and you would give anything for one more of those days? Anyone in the daddy days where they like look at you and you're everything to them, right? In those days, nurture and safeguard the rhythm of family, the things you do what you do once a week around the dinner table to make that time sacred, to communicate love and value. Like, we had dinner together a year ago, and I loved how you guys um, 
interact with your kids as humans. Like I watched you, and this is something that I learned a little later, be attuned to your boys and like be at their level, just slightly different, and look them in the eye. And I asked Michael about it, and he said, yeah, this is something we're intentionally trying to do to create kind of a value or a culture. I don't even know if you remember this conversation. In our home, that kind of intentionality. I mean, I'm not just talking about spending 10 grand to go to Disney World. I'm talking about the intentionality when you do sit down to dinner to actually acknowledge that you're sitting down to dinner with other humans, look them in the eye, and allow the, some of the chaos and the mess, and your boys are full of energy and all that. And, and they were well-mannered, and we had dinner together, but you involved them in the conversation. See, that's a rhythm that as you nurture and safeguard as they get older is going to produce that life of God, that grace in your lives. What can we be doing to nurture those family rhythms? To think about how do we make holiday time special? What traditions um, define special times in our home? Some of us hear this and we're like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Some of us are in the stage of life where we're like, that's all I can do to get dinner on the table, man. You're asking me to like make it all Pinteresty and special. It can be simple little things. Like for me, it took me a long time to realize the value of looking my child in the, and you're not my child, Kimmy, obviously, but you're just sitting here in the eye, you know, when I'm talking to them. Can't you see the family resemblance? Uh, <laughs> and talking to them and communicating that they matter, asking a question about their day and hearing their answer, letting them help shape the conversation. These rhythms build on themselves and create a a strong foundation such that when you're in the stage of life where you guys are, Doug and Pam, you know, you don't have adult children who want to hang out in your backyard like when we had dinner with you guys and they were all there and it wasn't obviously something that was unusual. This was just a day in the life. You didn't just get lucky. You didn't win the adult kid lottery. That's something that you guys have been cultivating through joy and through hardship in your family's life that Mari and I look up to, right? But you get that and the grace that is that when they're all out, you know, in a world that's throwing all hell at them, they have family as a safeguard, something to look forward to. I'm going to go hang out in mom and dad's backyard and mom's going to make the food great and it's going to be fun and we're all going to share our lives and what's going on and accept and make room for our differences and where each other is at. That's something to look forward to that's an anchor in life. And you didn't get lucky. You didn't stumble onto that. You cultivated that. And so between this stage and that stage, this is God's grace and challenge for us. Uh, some of us are like, yeah, that's great. I can totally do that or we're doing that. Some of us are single or in our you know, dating years and you're like, irrelevant, not so, because you're going to wake up the day after tomorrow and someone's going to be grabbing you by the ankles going, daddy, think about how we cultivate that season of life, right? Some of us, this is incredibly painful because that ship sailed and then it sank, And thinking about going home to be with our family at Christmas, you know, some of you young adults is is like thinking about going to get a root canal. It just seems miserable. And the last thing you would choose to do, you do it if you have to. And that may be, and I have no judgment, nor am I trying to say you should do something that's damaging to your soul. But what can we do to seek repair? As far as it depends on you, Scripture says, be at peace with everyone. What can we do to sow healing into those relationships? Maybe it's, hey, that ship really did sink, but I'm going to be intentional in looking forward and create a culture of intentionality in my family season of life that's different, that refers from the way it was done and says, in God's love, not that. 
And that's some of what I heard, brother, you share to me, and I just so deeply respect that and admire that. Okay, nurture and safeguard family rhythms. Psalm 133, another psalm, a song of ascent. How good and pleasant it is, David writes, when God's people live together in unity, like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. Aaron was the first priest, right? So it's like the priestly accoutrements and the anointing oil, which symbolized God's presence that made these priests holy. This is a sacred thing, this unity among the family of God. It's like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There is the place where his blessing concentrates. When we choose amidst the diversity and all of the differences and the conflict potential that exists within them to come together and prioritize community, loving, trusting relationship within the family of God. What is God whispering to us across the millennia through this little Psalm of Ascent? Find a few Jesus followers to share life with. A second rhythm begins with finding a few other Christians, people that love Jesus and seek to live with him as you do, to share life with. Knowing that most of us spend most of our waking hours among people who live orthogonal to what we believe and value at best, maybe pull 180 degrees the opposite direction. Anyone work a job where you got to grit your teeth and like hold on white knuckle not to just like go postal on them because you get persecuted. Maybe you're not getting like thrown in prison for being a Christian, but you get mocked or you get little comments or you get isolated or you don't get invited to the the things that they do. Not that you'd want to go out and get drunk afterward, but man, you just feel alone. Anyone know that feeling? Having a community like we uh, loved, did anyone catch cheers and syndication? A, A place where Everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. A group of people you can show up with and be full of yourself. I was asking my boys about what was amazing about their time in Costa Rica this summer. And as much as they loved being there and the work they did, they said just being all day with other people that love Jesus. My younger son said, where I don't have to guard myself at the lunch table because, you know, the the thing to do is to to cut one another down and one up the, the next person with a a better dig, and everyone pretends like they love it, but everyone hates it. Who likes getting insulted or having their vulnerabilities spotlighted, right? He said, but we were with people who were just loving all the time. Like there was a young man I spoke to last week, and he said the same thing, right, after desperation. He said, I love being there because everybody was just so nice. I could just sort of like be me and know that I was gonna be valued. We're wired for that refreshing. And some rhythm of grace that God's built into our lives going through the slog of the week is, I get to be with the people of God. We have a small group and we meet every two weeks. I look forward to that Tuesday night because I get to be with friends who are in generally the same stage of life, live generally in the same part of town, do many of the same things. And man, we just have put the time and the work into sharing life, into 
lifting each other up, praying for one another, celebrating each other's wins at work, caring about each other's children. And it's such a refreshing time. That, and I work with people like Anders, who are the most life-giving of Jesus followers. And still, I look forward every two weeks to being with my crew. You heard Matt invite you to help create more groups. The biggest problem of being a church of communities that meet in living rooms is that we start a new one and it fills up. We start another one and it fills up. And as Matt rightly pointed out, the spirit is willing, but the living room, especially in your like studio apartments for 3,000 bucks in Cap Hill, the living rooms are weak. So um, you can't put more people in there. So maybe God's stirring in you. Hey, you know what? I don't like, I don't have the Bible memorized or anything like that, but I'm willing to open up my living room and host a community and start being intentional to find some other Jesus followers to share life with. Last one, and we'll get out of here. Psalm 134, it's like two verses. Praise the Lord, you servants of the Lord, and serve him at night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Jerusalem. One of our church's values, one of our nine values, is we cherish the gathering of believers. I think the third rhythm that the passages collectively known as the Psalms of Ascent whisper is cherish the gathering of believers. This thing we're doing right now, easy to take for granted, easy to think about in terms of all the other opportunities and commitments we have going. It's an easy thing to do when we feel it or when we're around and not do if we didn't get good sleep, but prioritizing, cherishing the gathering of believers fuels something of eternity in our hearts. You know what this is? With all of its limitations and imperfections, gathering this crew, this is a little slice of heaven. We get to experience what our eternity with God in the middle is going to be like, being with the people of God, being refreshed in the saints of God. I love how David begins the Psalms of Ascent. Oh, how joyful I was when I heard, let's go together to the house of God, right? Being in the house of God with people of all different shapes and sizes, stages, backgrounds, areas of interest, parts of the city, gifts, struggles, worshiping around the same Jesus in an environment where it's not only safe, but where we remember who we are, who we're becoming, what we're made for. And so cherish the gathering of believers. Cherish this time. Because when we're here, we remember where we're going to be for eternity and what that's going to be like. And your being here, it matters. It matters for you, but even if there's a day where you're like, I don't know, it might be a break even. It might even be a net withdrawal, if I'm honest, to have to get myself together and go be with a group of people. But it matters to her, and it matters to him. Like John Donne wrote, no person is an island unto himself. We're all a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And so like, it matters to me if Jin shows up. Like, it makes a difference. And like Rob being here, it matters. And Rob and Jin, I don't know whether you guys know each other. You guys are in different parts of the, the life stage spectrum, but your being in this family matters, right? Like we talked about Richard, who is our wisest and maturest church member 
a few weeks ago when we said happy birthday, you know? And then um, Lola was sitting over there a minute ago, maybe our youngest church member. I know you already did the Simba thing. Oh, she's sleeping. I won't make you hold her up. But Lola's like a month or two. And Richard's like a, a lot more months. See, they need each other. And this is a little slice of heaven we get to experience. So let's cherish it, shall we? All right, stand up. We're going to worship, and then we'll get out of here. Father, thanks for your word. And I feel like this, these passages are kind of like, if you're eating a lobster, they're like the little legs of the lobster. Tiny little bit of meat, but man, it's so good. Lord, thanks for speaking to us through these simple little psalms. Thanks for wiring in us, I can't wait till. Meet us in a renewed rhythm of anticipation. Lord, teach us how to wait well, how to invite you into that, how to bear with one another in this weary slog, how to remember your faithfulness, how to look forward to all of your promises coming to pass unto kingdom come. Lord, help us not to take one another for granted, but to cherish this space, this sacred space coming to the house of God, celebrating with the people of God, growing together, learning from one another. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name.